Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Bill's Draft Eve, it is upon us. One of my least favorite times of the year. <laughs> Draft season. Free agent season I can get into. Because I can imagine guys who I've actually seen play on Sundays in the National Football League and imagine how they'd fit in on the Bills or any other team, whether or not they're worth the price that they're asking. They've shown themselves to be either good human beings or a-holes. Is this somebody I w- would want in my locker room? Is this somebody I want to cover? Am I interested in this guy? What are some interesting stories? These guys coming out of college, they're so polished. They go through these seminars on how to do their interviews with coaches and general managers. And it's evident when they talk to the media, too. They never say anything that's even any remotely interesting. And uh, that's not their fault. That's the safe way to do it. You don't want to hurt yourself right before you get drafted by saying something incendiary or ignorant. Or tweeting something like that. <laughs> yeah, all that type of stuff. <laughs> yeah, don't don't tweet anything stupid. No. The Bills might take you if you do that. <laughs> they might. So anyway, Matthew Fairburn's here. Matthew Fairburn doing uh, the two-a-days for him. He was in earlier today filling in for Jerry Sullivan here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. And when I asked him to come in, I totally slipped my mind that he was filling in for Sully today, and so he agreed to do it. And then I gave him an opportunity to back out, and he said no. He said he was going to be here. I'd already told the the people. I had teased the Tim Graham show multiple times. Several times. You were too... Modest or too timid to tell me that too you polite, I suppose. Po- yeah, that I used like no man. I'm already doing the show on uh, on Wednesday morning. I don't want to do it twice. Yeah, an opportunity to come hang with you and talk about your favorite subject. I couldn't pass that up. Yes. Well, thanks for coming in and being my crutch. Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein and Bronstein, the sports journalist injury professionals. He's here. Bobby Rosati is on the board, has us all potted up and ready to go. Oh, yeah. When he's not diddling, he's potting. <laughs> Plants, that is. And moving level, levers up. So this draft will be over with soon enough, mercifully. <laughs> Hasn't even started yet. It, well, that's the thing. It used to be over with a lot quicker than it is now. It, they they continue to drag it out. So, but really, the fans care mostly about the first round. They want to know who their projected day one starter is because that's what you're supposed to get in the first round in the NFL draft. Second and third rounders, not so much. But at least the first rounder, if you're into college football, it's somebody you would have heard of. You probably saw play on Saturday afternoons, or if you're doing your research, you've watched the highlights. And, of course, the more and more of a draft kook you are, the more you are going to know somebody's name who's taken on day three in round six from some... Seven-round mock draft. There's people that probably know all the names. Matthew Fairburn's done a seven-round mock. Yes, but I only did Bills picks, and so I know the 10 guys I gave the Bills beyond that. But you have to, you have at, to do, so you do can, some digging. Sure, so you can at least have somebody 
in the right spot. You can't have right. a guy who's clearly a fourth round pick. You can't have the Bills taking them in the sixth. Yeah, you, you need it to be as honest of a representation and as you can get. There are people that will. Those are my favorite people who tell you, I can't believe you gave the Bills this guy in the fifth round. No way he'll still be there. And I'm thinking, no way. You know, no way. You know mm-hmm. that this guy won't be there in the fifth round because we all know that the NFL draft always goes just how we all think it's going to go. Absolutely. Especially, what, a third of the first round picks? If you get those right, then you're a genius. Never mind the fifth round picks. If you think you know who is definitely going to be on the board in the fifth round, then you're much smarter than I am, much smarter than most of these these draft people. But, yeah, the the seven-round mock drafts are they're a good exercise in just matching guys to the team and introducing people to some names. But I'd have to go back and look at how it did last year. I'm sure – I know I got Josh Allen right. After that, I don't think I got much of anything. You right. have the Bills taking Alabama tackle Jonah Williams in the first round. Uh, I am doing a show for Channel 4 in which we're analyzing the draft, and each of the analysts on there was – asked to come up with his pick with the Bills at number nine. I went with Andre Dillard, so I think we're thinking in the same terms. Uh, Obviously, uh, tackle is a need for the Bills, uh, and Brandon Bean has made it a point to say there is no glaring need, or at least that's his contention. I think that holes, though, are relative, so they've shorn up that interior offensive line. But I still think there's a need at tackle, clearly, and so, and you do too, because you have uh, them taking Jonah Williams there with the ninth pick. Uh, but I'll say this: this is my mock drafting. Uh, You've done a lot of mock drafting. This I've been spring. some mock drafting. That's what you get for going talk. on TV. I still have never done a mock draft, and I'm proud of that. But yeah, I had to extend myself, so I reached out to a couple Bills sources, and I said, essentially, I know you're not going to tell me who you're picking. But I'm being forced to go on television and say you're going to draft somebody. (laughs) And I'm going to say, Andre Dillard, is that stupid? And I got the response back that said, that is not stupid. And my response to that was, thank you. That's all I needed to know. Yes. So, so lock it in is what you're saying. That's right. That's, yes. Well, that's what mock drafting is, right? It's it, the, that's what it should you're be. You're trying to not look stupid. Like, i just trying to get in the neighborhood and make it just be somebody that you're considering. So that way, when people see this, people at One Bill's Drive happen to see Tim Graham on a screen. I'm not being laughed at by <laughs> Brandon Bean and yeah. Joe Shane and well, Lake Dawson and Dan Morgan. And they're like, who? This guy covers our team? Well, <laughs> why do you think that your sources really don't? Want you to look stupid with this pick? That's right. Maybe they. they yeah, maybe they got straight. an intern giving you information. I <laughs> like. I'd stay far away from that Dillard pick if I were you. Here's the thing. <laughs> yes. Well. All right. So here's the thing. With these sources that I reached out to, if they did do that to me, I would. I, I would admire it. No. <laughs> because they're people I like, and they're people who I do trust. And if they were doing that as a like a prank or like a what, then I would. I would not be offended by that That's because it's funny. the draft. It's, it's exactly right. It's the season uh, well, for that. I, I started thinking that because on Monday I gave the Bills Jonah Williams and independently, it, I think Peter King did it. And then all of a sudden, I think Jay Skursky gave him Jonah Williams. And there was a couple others. All of a sudden, it's becoming a thing. And I can just picture Brandon Bean and the like sitting in the, the draft room saying, check out these guys. <laughs> 
Look at them. They all think they know what we're going to do. That's all I wanted to avoid. <laughs> That's the only thing I want to avoid. And I'm is... sitting there thinking, uh, if, if everybody's – although right. last year everybody connected them to Josh Allen, and we all wanted to think, oh, no way they're going to let that out. And sure enough, they went with Josh Allen. So. I don't want to be correct. I just want to be not ridiculed. Yeah, for having not ridiculed by the people who should know. Yes, anybody else can let laugh alone, at me all they you know, want. Yeah, the the public can can ridicule, but if the people who are supposed to take us seriously <laughs> think that we look like fools, then that's no fun. Excuse me, can I butt in with some breaking news? Always. Heather Prusak is reporting that uh, UB head coach of the women's team, Felicia Leggett-Jack, signed a five-year contract extension. Oh, well, there's an update. Jonah, your thought? Is this a surprise to you? It dragged on for a little bit, but she was flirting with some other schools, had the offer from Penn State that she reportedly turned down. Well, it seemed like she was in the mix and, and possibly looking for a better job, or, or I should say a bigger job, a better paying job. But... With that not happening a couple of weeks ago, not a surprise that they gave her a contract extension. That was AD Mark Allnight had said that was going to happen. They were talking about it, and, and so that part of it's not a surprise. She deserves it. She won a lot of games and built that program up, and a nice development for UB because having lost Nate Oates to lose both of your coaches after they've built up such a impressive program on both the men's and the women's side would certainly be. Uh, would would uh, buckle them a little bit. Not to say that their program would, would be uh, any better or worse off. Maybe they could hire somebody who does other things that bring in great recruits. Who knows? But it just, statistically speaking, it's it's hard to come back from things like that. I, I think they'd be all right. It would slow some of the momentum, and that's already really happened with the men's program with how some of the fans feel about it. But, yes, keeping Felicia Jack – They'll they'll probably keep that program winning as it has been, and there'll, there'll be some stability there for at least another year. All right, we're on UB for a little bit. Uh, Jim Whitesell, he's been announced as the coach. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks now. The dust has settled. People aren't really shining a light on that program. We're on to other things like the draft, or you're watching the NHL playoffs or the NBA playoffs. College basketball season's over, but there have been some developments with the program. So while we're talking about UB basketball, Jonah, what is your sense as to – what we've seen out of the UB men's program and the the ripples in the recruiting uh, that have happened because of the coaching change. Well, they got one recruit, David Nickelberry, a junior college transfer who actually played one year at Memphis before spending last year at junior college. He's pretty good. He's probably going to start six, seven guys. So they're doing all right with recruiting. The biggest development really at this point in time, things can change, but at this point in time, it seems like they're not going to lose anybody to transfer, anybody of any significance to transfer. And that's the big thing with coaching changes, and that's where promoting from within and keeping Jim Whitesell, who had been on the staff for four years and was the associate head coach, I believe prevented that. An outside coach probably would have lost one, if not several, good players to transfer. And they're still, I would think, the best, the most talented team in the MAC by far uh, with what they've added. They got some transfers and some freshmen that have been on campus that haven't committed and for at least now, I think they're going to keep it going. Now, that doesn't mean I think they're going to be top 25 ranked and win 32 games. That was probably an unreasonable expectation, even if NATO had stayed. But they're not, they haven't lost very much, although there was a blip with recruiting. But it's kind of like the draft. There's always new players to draft. It's not like you'd say, oh, we can't take this guy because he went number six. There's always players. There's, as long as you have draft picks, as long as you have open scholarships, cap room, 
you can add to your roster. And so I don't think I wouldn't be too worried about losing the commitments of some of those recruits. How much cap room does UB have left? Well, that's the interesting. <laughs> I mean, it depends on what they're paying the players who already stayed. No, um, no, no, no. But I mean that as an analogy. No, it's yeah, like, I, got you. I guess I'm saying there's a lot of fans who are very upset that they had three junior college players, two rated in the top 10, and some high school players committed. They had what maybe was going to be the best recruiting class they've ever had. They all decommitted. Doesn't look like any of them are coming back. And there's fans that are upset about that and think the coaching change was handled wrong, and that's why they lost those recruits. But I look at it like maybe an NBA team that has cap salary slots. I probably shouldn't say salary in this discussion, but room to add. And so there's Minutes, other good players. Getting, yeah, getting a chance to play opportunities. Yeah, so they might not get the exact same players. They might not be quite as good as the players that were committed, but they might be. They might be just as good. They might be better. Might they be better fits. Scholarships to give, but also minutes on a team that has a chance to go to the tournament. There's still well, a lot to sell on this program. Yes and no. I mean, they got six, seven good players coming back, so there aren't a lot of minutes. There's minutes at the center position and they haven't gotten that player committed yet. So that's still an open. They had a transfer from Clemson on campus. Javon White's his name. They had a recruit from Wisconsin. I'm, I can't think of his name right now, but he's a 6'10 guy. He's a good player. He's got a lot of offers. I don't really think he's going to come to Buffalo, but that they got him on campus is a good thing. So things there was that blip where they lost the recruits, but things other than that have been going real smooth. And an extension for Felicia Leggett-Jack to keep the women's program running smoothly. Overall, it's a good day for UB, or a good period for you to be in right yeah and if you're just tuning in felicia leggett jack reportedly gets a five-year contract extension from ub so she is staying for for now and uh, similar to nate oates if a program comes along and wants her bad enough they can uh, pay whatever her uh, contract termination fee is uh, of course that doesn't happen nearly as often as it does uh, in men's basketball uh, when it comes to women's coaches so um, but i think if there's a school that wants to make that higher i don't think the buyouts we'll have to see what it is but it's all relevant i don't think it'll right. be too prohibitive and you know that's more money it's, there's another good state that ub basketball is in i don't know where they're going to allocate these funds but they got seven hundred fifty thousand dollars in nate oats buyout and that can you know help feed and water what they have going on right now right well we're going to talk about uh, some nba a little bit later for those of you who uh, do uh, follow basketball and uh Jonah Bronstein was telling me before the show here that Mark Stein, uh, with uh, who has a lot of Buffalo connections, has been on the Bucky and Sully show in the mornings uh, before. A uh, huge uh, Buffalo sports fan. Uh, Mark Stein of the New York Times has stated that the second round of these NBA playoffs might be the best second round ever in NBA postseason history. So uh, some great matchups. And, of course, some of these are not official, but... Uh, Warriors, Rockets, Celtics, Bucks, Raptors, Sixers. Uh, looks like it's going to be the Spurs and the Blazers. So fantastic uh, matchups there. We're going to talk about that. Of course, we're going to get into last night's uh, Game 7s, Toronto and Boston. Uh, I'm talking NHL, of course. And uh, what happened in San Jose uh, against uh, the Golden Knights, ending their season. The Golden Knights yeah. up three games to one in the series, up 3 nothing. Nine minutes into the third period, controversial call, game misconduct, five-minute power play. San Jose scores four times. Marc-Andre Fleury. Hey. I've never been his biggest. I'm not a huge fan of Marc-Andre Fleury. You aren't? I'm not, no. Oh, no, I because love Things like this uh, have a tendency him. to happen to Marc-Andre Fleury. Not three times, though. 
Four goals. I mean, the guy was rattled, clearly. Oh, yeah. I mean, they weren't great. They were great shots, though. I think every single oh, one for got sure. a they tip were legit in front. Goals. Right. They were yeah. legit goals. Yeah. They but were still inexcusable. Goals. Four goals. San Jose comes back to take a 4-3 lead, and then Las Vegas, with what, 30 seconds left in the game, ties it, sends it into overtime, a really good overtime, um, sluggish overtime. These guys were gassed. And then the great stat, after the winning goal was scored, the guy who scored it, who had the winner in Game 5 also, had played six minutes in regulation. This was a guy, and he played like a minute and a half. It was only his second or third shift of overtime. It was at the end of overtime, and he's got fresh legs. Absolutely. Oh, he looked like Pavel Bure out there, this guy who was only able to get on the ice trusted enough for six minutes in in regulation. Uh, Yeah, all all of a sudden turned into the rocket. And uh, So anyway, we'll talk about all that. Jacques Martin now rumored as a candidate to be the Buffalo Sabres' next coach. Uh, Ricard Gronberg, uh, also uh, as uh, the Athletics' John Vogel's been writing about. So as time goes on, uh, some different candidates emerging. And, of course, with Matt Fairburn here in studio, a lot more on the Bills draft when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270. The fan. Maybe I do want to use these. Yeah, you want some of this, don't you? What, I, I, I don't know. I can't. Hear oh, you can't hear me. <laughs> I'm using backup headphones that have a short in them. Yeah. I left my headphones at home. And I have these, a good set sitting right here in front of me, but I'm being stubborn because I'm, I'm insisting on figuring out how to make these work. <laughs> no, don't take them away because I'm going to end up using Oh, no, them. I'm going to undo them for you. Okay. You're the host. I'm the hostess. Oh, I got it. It's one of those deals where I ha- pull it halfway out. Can you turn it up a little bit, though? Bobby's going to end up cutting that one. If Michael were here, he would have jumped all over <laughs> you for that. That's true. It's halfway out. I pulled it halfway out. That's what made all the difference in the world. Just like footprints in the sand. What is this, Wilco? Yes, it is. All right, it took me a while. I had a feeling you knew him for some reason. I do know Wilco, yeah. yes. but it's the I, only album I really like. But I, the, my headphones weren't working, so it took me... <laughs> A minute and a half to finally hear somebody singing. This is like when uh, Stern does the engineer stuff on the air. Right. (laughs) That's that's the only reason I feel like this is acceptable. Absolutely. (laughs) Because if it weren't, I'd be panicking right now. I'd be throwing something. This is the Tim Graham Show. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic. Guest in studio today is Matthew Fairburn, also of The Athletic. Jonah Bronstein's here, as is Bobby Rosati, keeping things uh, in line technologically. So, Matthew Fairburn, you have been working on a project for The Athletic, and it's going to post tomorrow, theoretically, regarding draft histories and taking a look at them uh, in a certain context and then comparing them around the league. 
each beat writer from the Atlantic at the Athletic. I'd be interested to see what the Atlantic does with this. Um, has been working on this, so it'll be a massive project uh, of thirty-two components. Can you break it down for us and then tell us what you, as a Bills beat reporter, learned from doing this research? So the idea behind it was, I believe, a Jeff Howe creation, uh, something our, our Patriots reporter at The Athletic was digging into some draft history. We looked at the drafts from 2000 to 2015 because at this point you pretty much know what you've got. You probably could say the same thing about 2016, but we also looked at guys who signed a second contract with their team, and so 2016 wouldn't apply. And then number of first-team all-pro players that a team had, number of players who were released or traded before the end of their rookie deal, and then the number of starts a guy had, and added it all up for each round, and it's not for the Bills. It's since he's been in the entire played in the league. No, it's how many games did that guy start for his team when he for was his drafted. team? Right. Okay. Now, special because you teams can players find, didn't count. You can find value in making a pick if the guy went on and had a long career, even if it wasn't with your team. At least then you could say, "See, we we knew he was going to be a good player, so we right. got it's the right pick." But that's not necessarily what you're looking for. You're looking for how it how you build your team. Right. And part of it is, you know, you learn a little bit. The more we talked about it, we talked about it a little bit this morning uh, when I was filling in for Sully. And the more we talked about it, the more we sort of realized the other factors that come into play on some of these variables. How often a, a guy signed a second contract with his team, you know, the Packers and the Steelers are very high up on that list of teams that retain their own talent. Is that because they're drafting a lot better? Yes, a little bit, but also the Packers ignored free agency for a long time and focused in-house. And so sometimes that could, can be a stubbornness uh, to you know bring back your own players right. and not you know, know when to cut ties. The Patriots are famous for cutting ties with guys right. um, and not overpaying. The The first team all pro, that's a pretty good indication of who's a good football player. It's also picked by writers. And so some people will argue that there's bias towards certain teams, the best teams. But and the but all pro has always been the standard of greatness. Way it's better more than so. Pro Bowl. And it, it's always been better than Pro Bowl, but especially over the last decade when the NFL changed the rules so that if you're playing in the Super Bowl, you don't participate in the Pro Bowl, which opened it up to watering down the number, the people who actually get selected for it. So especially in the last 10 years, All-Pro has been a much better barometer. Uh, and I think when they talk about uh, making it into the Hall of Fame, it's All-Pro selections that they talk about more than Pro Bowls. Yeah, Pro Bowls are... A bit of a joke. As more and more, they become, you know, sillier to you know base your argument on. You could, I think, all pro is a pretty good standard, and maybe the most glaring statistic of all of them was that the Bills have drafted 131 players, or they did draft 131 players in this time frame that we're talking about, which is the tenth most draft picks of any team in that stretch of time. 
and they have just one first team All Pro selection. Not you know one player, and he was only picked once, and he was viewed pretty much as a disappointment for the breadth Largely. of his career. And that's Marcel Darius. He earned a second contract, one that many people would say was a bad contract. Maybe one of the worst in team history. And Brandon Bean certainly thought that because he basically begged the Jaguars to take it off his books. And the the we were talking about this the other day. The most recent draft pick to sign a second contract with the Bills, which if you want any you know reason as to why the Bills have had to really rebuild from the ground up and why they've been so thin at so many positions. The last guy to sign a second contract with the bills that was drafted by the bills is another guy who had what many people consider to be a bad contract. And that's Cordy Glenn, who was a second round pick in 2012. Every other draft pick from 2013 to 2015, none of them signed a second contract and most of them were cut or traded before the end of their first deal. But again, the context is important because they're not all bad players. Ronald Darby, Sammy Watkins, Preston Brown was decent. Chantrell Henderson started a lot of games. But when you have a team that turns over management and coaching staffs as often as the Bills do, you end up with some numbers like and like coordinators. The Bills yeah, changing change scheme. scheme. Oh, this guy doesn't fit my three four defense. They rarely had a defensive coordinator, and this goes back to. Wade Phillips, since Wade Phillips was gone. So this isn't just since 13, but they've rarely had a defensive coordinator take over and keep in the same scheme that the previous defensive coordinator had. It's It was always a flip, pretty much, a 4-3 a to a 3-4, to 4-3, to 3-4, to 4-3, to 3-4. The smarter teams these days, or at least the argument is that in the NFL now, with base defense not really being a thing, nickel defense really being more of your base defense— you can be a bit more flexible. I mean, if you look at, obviously the Patriots have had continuity in their coaching staff at the top, but they also are so flexible in their scheme and they're looking for players who are flexible in their scheme. I think Sean McDermott thinks in the same way. They wouldn't rule out a guy who people call a 3-4 outside linebacker in this draft because Sean McDermott can find a way to get that guy on the field on third down as a defensive end. He can have him stand up as a linebacker. I mean, if you're a smart defensive coach, you should be able to figure it out. If you're Rex Ryan and you just think you're a really smart defensive coach and you continue to do it the way that you've done it for years and years, then you get rid of all these great 4-3 players and bring in your 3-4 guys and set the roster-building process back. But Now, through the athletics process here and putting this package together, and each beat writer was responsible for doing the research for his team, and you put these 32 um, mini data bit databases together, is there a metric or anything that comes out in which we can rank the Bills compared to other teams in terms of retention or their success rate? I believe somebody is coming up with a final value. Because we've got some smart numbers people that, that do those sort of things. But we do have rankings on every single metric here and the bills are not very high in any of them other than the bad ones the and again they are uh how many all pros selections uh whether they had a second contract 
with the Bills, uh, which counts a franchise tag. If they gave simply give a guy a franchise tag, that right. counts as a second contract. Uh, game started. And whether a guy was released or traded. Released or traded, okay. And so those are varying degrees. Obviously, you can't say, well, how many all-pros? You can't just judge on all-pros, but it runs the gamut from all-pro selections to just game started. And you make a great point, or at least it, it, it triggers something in my mind when you talk about uh, franchise tag offers. The Bills don't even have those. They don't even have guys that were worthy enough to be given the franchise tag. Jarris Bird is the one that comes to mind, and you know, outside. But we hear the conversations, the arguments often. No, they've in had the a couple. Time they've had a couple about but... about you know, should this team give this guy a franchise tag, and you know the the infighting that ensues. A guy's not happy about getting the franchise tag. That's not something I'm super familiar with covering, <laughs> and I've been covering this right. team th- since 2014. So. You know, they, they haven't had a ton of situations like that. They they have released or traded 84 of their 131 draft picks before the end of their first deal. That's tied for fourth most in the NFL in that time span. Who else is up there, if you have that handy? the Interestingly enough, the Seattle Seahawks are tied for fourth with 84. The Philadelphia Eagles have 89, so they're third. Wow. And here's one that maybe it, it actually makes sense. The the team that has the most guys released or traded before the end of their first deal is the New England Patriots. And the reason I say that makes sense is they've drafted a lot of players. Uh, they've drafted 144 players tied for second most. And when you have a roster like the Patriots, draft picks don't always make it. Uh, when I was doing the research – a lot of the guys that get released or traded before the end of their first deal are seventh-round picks, sixth-round picks. The Bills haven't had a tremendous amount of success in the sixth or seventh round. Not many teams do, but they've only signed one guy from the seventh round, one guy from the sixth round to a second contract. And they've released or traded 40 of those guys, so almost half of the guys that they've released or traded before the end of their first deal are sixth or seventh rounders, which, as Bobby and I talked about earlier today, Drives home the point in this draft, all those day three picks they have might not be worth all that much because history tells us those guys don't often make the team for consecutive years. They don't see the end of their rookie deals. They rarely make first-team All-Pro. Even Kyle Williams, who was a fifth-round pick, is like the one shining example. They had Stevie Johnson in the seventh round. But that's a lot of draft picks and only a couple of success stories. And the way they've built this team, I, I think the goal would be that your sixth and seventh round picks don't make your roster. Like Austin Prohl got Not enough room. last year. Or you would hope that you've built enough depth that the Ray Ray McLeods of the world don't have any more room on your roster. The Austin Proles, you know, don't cut it anymore. Maybe they make your practice squad. Right. Something like that. You're right. That should be the – and the other thing, too, is you mentioned the Patriots having so many uh, draft picks that – get cut before their first uh, deal is up is the Patriots are willing to dip into free agency and can because they can lure players to come and play there. The Bills really have to rely on the draft, as we've talked about before, uh, the stigma that you have about wanting to sign to come play for Buffalo. You want to play for a team that has a quarterback, that has won, that has a chance to win, that has the premier facilities, and yes, there are changes afoot 
with all those things, with the facilities that we've seen with the new weight room or the fact that Josh Allen is in place. But for the longest time, that wasn't the case. So the Bills, if they're getting rid of their draft picks before the end of their contract, whether it be via trade or release, that's a dangerous, dangerous game to play. The Patriots can afford it on multiple levels because they have the quarterback, because they have really good players, uh, because uh, they can spend the money in free agency or or they have the ability to um, appeal to a free agent whose services are being competed for. And you could say, well, we don't have to overpay for Chris Long because we're the New England Patriots. And we'll go out and our draft, our, four, our third round pick didn't make the team or wasn't cutting it. So we had to move on from him, but we can go out and get Chris Long. See, the other thing the about the Patriots that. is we're talking about the totality of draft picks and how many haven't seen the end of the first contract. And it should be pointed out, too, and I think you said it, but just to underscore, this is, goes back to the year 2000, which 2000. is great for just coincidentally that the Athletic decided to go with that date because that coincides with the drought. Right. It, it works out. Important thing to point out with the Patriots as well, because, yes, they've released or traded all these guys before the end of their, their first contract. But when we switch the data sample to first-round picks, which is the interesting part about this is that the Bills have often been picking high in the draft, more often than any team would want to. The Patriots have not hardly ever been up there, and when they have, it's because they've traded or you know they've acquired extra picks. When you switch it to that, the Patriots have drafted four first-team All-Pro players in the first round. The Bills have drafted just the one, Marcel Darius. The Bills have signed five of their first-round draft picks to second contracts with the team, and they've released or traded six first-round picks before the end of their, their first contract. Whereas the Patriots, as I mentioned, had four All-Pros, signed eight of those guys, tied for ninth in the league, to second contracts, and only released or traded four of those guys before the end of their first contract. So even though they don't pick as high in the first round, they're still doing a lot better job of it than the Bills are. And the only reason those other, you know, the big picture they've released or traded so many guys is because they play a lot of games with those late-round picks, and they move around a lot, and they're willing to cut ties with the lesser talented players because they've built a roster where it's almost impossible for those guys to make it. And I th- and the other thing too with the Patriots, I'd be interested to see this. And this is Jeff Howe, the writer for the Athletic, who covers the Patriots. This was his brainchild, so hopefully he gets stuck with this extra work. But the Patriots are also they churn over that the bottom of their roster maybe more than any team in the league. And if not, there if there's somebody that does it more often, it's not by a lot. But they're also known for cutting guys and bringing them back. So I wonder, too, if there were guys who got cut by the end of that first contract with the Patriots but still ended up coming back to them two, three times more. You know, Because that's what the Patriots, they, you're right, they play games with that part of their roster. They're constantly churning over their practice squad, constantly churning over the 45 to, to 53-man spots on their roster. They just cut guys and move them in. They'll have somebody for a couple of weeks get rid of them. I mean, you can even think of a local guy. They did it with Glenn Gronkowski after the Bills had him here. Um, seemed to make some kind of wink and a nod deal to let Glenn Gronkowski start an NFL game, and, and then all of a sudden they cut him. 
Patriots sign him, put him on the practice squad or whatever they did with him, deactivated him, cut him, signed him again. Ross Ventrone's another one. They do it with special teamers all the time. All right. Anyways, we're going to get to a but but, go, do, go ahead, man. They do do that, and Jeff Howe brought that up early on in researching this this project, saying if a guy was released and then brought back to the practice squad or released and the Patriots brought him back later, he did not count that player. And, and it shouldn't because all teams have a chance to pick that guy right. up. It's he goes through the waivers process. Contract. Yes, And uh, if a guy got – you know, they, they had Patrick Chung was the example who – Played out his rookie deal, signed with the Eagles, and then returned to the Patriots a year later. He didn't count that because his second contract was with the Eagles. But you don't see a lot of those cases with the Bills. If a guy gets away, he's gone. You know they're not coming back a lot, unless obviously you know guys that get cut and brought back to the bottom of the roster or the practice squad. Not but, a lot are popping up in my head right now. Maybe during the break, I'll think of it. But yeah, who's a guy who left the Bills and then came back? Unless you count like Deontay Thompson types, who. But right. those aren't draft picks. Right. Somebody you know, who and, the Bills picked, and because they wanted to come back, and you know, ah, I'm just going to go. I, I, right. Going to. You don't try typically. To you know, you're not fix what I you know finish yeah. what I started or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you're right. They don't come back, do they? <laughs> not often. Hockey, they do. I mean, the say there have been a lot of former Sabers that have come yes. back. That That's happens like over thing. the years. That's like their thing. Will Greer or sure. not Will Greer? Um, Mike Greer. Mike Greer. Maybe somebody can Jason point out some right to us, now. but I none are coming to mind with the Bills right now. I can't now. think of any. Other than, I, yeah. like I said, Deontay Thompson was one who, but that was just, again, those are bottom of the roster, turning over the bottom of the roster. You're not thinking about, like, a Patrick Chung, who's no. a legit, le- legit player leaving, coming back. It sometimes works out that way, but. Uh, very important player on the Patriots defense. No, it's, the Bills don't have those. No. It's a bummer. The, the Bills don't have very important guys starting for them on Super Bowl Sunday. No. They just don't have those. Not these days. No. All right, we come back. More Bills draft talk. We're going to have some NBA talk and uh, the NHL playoffs. Those Game 7s last night were uh, a lot of fun. And uh, we're going to hear from Mike Rodak. He's on the road. He had to go uh, back to the mothership in Bristol. That's why he's not here today. But we're going to hear from him. I'm the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. is to entertain, inform, and to provoke thought. What happens if you flick it? On Twitter at 1270 The Fan. Buffalo, New York. Taking your calls at 270-1270. I mean, didn't you ever run so fast you thought your legs were going to fall off? You know, like when you were like running toward the swings or, or running away from... Uh, this gift to me. I will have a big unveiling. Jim Brown's still a free agent. This is Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I had to wait for Jimmy Page to kick in. It just didn't Hell feel yeah. right. So I, just I knew exactly. Stomping all over Robert Plant's <laughs> vocal like that. 
All right, here's a hot uh, recent music take. I am already sick of Greta Van Fleet. Sign me up. I was done before their album came out. I feel bad saying that, but it's just... When I first heard them, I thought, wow, this is really cool. Yeah, And it, it awesome. gets me back to my old heavy metal days. And, of course, it's super reminiscent of Led Zeppelin. Yeah. But intentionally so. Yes. They're a ripoff. And in the beginning, they were talking, saying, oh, yeah, of course, we're not ripping them off, but they were a huge influence. Right. And the singer acts like Robert Plant. Mm-hmm. And the guitarist, I think they're brothers, maybe? Or yes. there's some family yep. involved and. Mix the uh, drums like John Bonham. Yeah, and they're talking about, oh, of course, Jimmy Page was a big influence. And and then it got to the point where Robert Plant started saying, when one of the, all the songs sound pretty much alike. Oh, absolutely. It's just the guy screaming like Robert Plant and a, and a bluesy guitar riff behind him. And uh, they were on Saturday Night Live uh, about a month and a half ago, I mm-hmm. think it was, and they were awful. Oh, were they? Yes. Oh, I didn't that's see re- that. That's really what turned me, oh, awesome. I think. I, I hear Good. them, and I liked them, and then I saw them. Yeah. I was looking forward to seeing them on SNL, and <laughs> I just didn't like them. And then, um, and I don't listen to them a lot, but they're on um, at the Graham household. Yeah. We are MLB The Show family. And Rightfully the new so. MLB The Show 19 came out, and my son and I play the game, and there's a Greta Van Fleet song on the soundtrack. And it is just, it's tough to listen to. You more than a video game. Yep. <laughs> well, that's true because then it plays on a loop. And Sometimes you just hear it, it makes a song for me. There have been um, the old NHL games. I used to get the <laughs> NHL games. I have I have you songs I on could, my absolutely on my iTunes right now that are because they were from NHL 2002 or, or MVP baseball used to have some killer soundtracks. Yep, you know, back in the day, Madden Madden did oh, okay yeah. for a while, but and then they kind of got weird. Teetered off before a we bit. before we move too far past that. Just on the Zeppelin thing. Led Zeppelin takes a lot of criticism for ripping people off, and I'm doing air quotes there, for you know not having their own original ideas. Nobody's getting on Greta Van Fleet for that. So it's a little unfair. Tim Graham is. It, well, yeah, but it's like accepted now. It's weird. It, well, it's, it's, it's like doing remixes or, or uh, how these rappers do um, uh, mixtapes. I don't other mind. People's music. I don't mind uh, sampling like you no. did in hip hop because Definitely. they're taking at least something and yes. uh, and and. And turning it into uh, their own. That's what a beat They're, is. Yeah, it's a right. beat or a riff or whatever. They're not taking the whole look and, you know, it's everything. So anyway, Greta Van Fleet can stick it. Yeah. Where are you with uh, Greta Van Susteren? <laughs> I would rather listen to Greta Van Susteren right now than I would Greta Van Fleet. Hot take. About Freddie Van... People are maybe wondering, do you have some Greta Van Fleet yeah. that you can play? Yeah, we all know this one, right? I've never heard it. You don't know Greta Van Fleet at all? You don't I've know heard this? the name of the band, but I don't know any of their music. Oh, this one's on everything. Commercial. This is on a car commercial. Highway team. Doesn't sound I've, like Robert Plant at all. I've heard he? the car commercial. Yeah. It's rock and roll. Remember when rock and roll was on every, sure. like, three different car commercials for, like, ten years? It's the exact same thing. It's the same concept. It's the same. Yeah. Oh, I hate what do this. you think, Matt Fairburn? You like your rock and roll music. You're a throwback in that regard. Yeah, this is 
This is not. He even can turn up a little bit because even he's even got the war, the Robert Plant warble. He's yeah. doing a Robert Plant imitation. Let's listen for a second. This is Fred Van Fleet. But what's the, yeah. now, what's that, what's the difference? I just wanted to double check. What's an impersonation? What's a tribute? What's a callback? You know, what's the difference there? Right. Well, if all right. So you're doing a song. You hear a, a musician saying this was a, a, a nod to Elvis. Or you may hear a little Elvis something in there. Or this was a nod to... Just how about... Listen to this. Yeah, it's the same. It's a ripoff. I mean, the sounds are identical. They mix their music the exact same right. way. So if you want to do a nod to Earth, Wind, and Fire or whatever, but <laughs> if every song on your album is that, then in you're November. a tribute band. And then you should be playing at uh, at the uh, the place in Niagara Falls that has all the tribute bands. The casino? No, the the theater there. The Wax Museum? Riviera? <laughs> the, the Riviera. Oh, the the Riviera. Riviera has just nothing but... Although they are getting some decent shows, actually. Rapids. The Rapids Theater. The Rapids is in the fall. The Riviera oh, is yeah. in NC. That's right, yeah. But I know what you're getting at. Yeah, I hadn't heard of these guys by name until you mentioned them, but yeah. that song is very familiar. Yeah. I thought they were the backup point guard for the Raptors at first. Yeah, Freddie Van Vliet. <laughs> 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 Don't worry, I, I know that. And all those stupid connections. I'm going to have to keep my ears open <laughs> and on alert for these Well, guys. Greta Van Fleet, they already came and gone as far as I'm Thank concerned. Because I'm usually not at the cutting edge of music takes. And the fact that I, I was probably a little late to Greta Van Fleet. And you know where Greta Van Fleet got a lot of traction? It was in Rolling Stone. And Rolling Stone, because you know the, the editors there, they... As you see with all of the Hall of Fame inductions, they have a certain type of act that they love. They go for the throwback style. Um, They're rarely – and then they get involved in giving their blessing to certain pop acts, but they always seem to miss the mark. Does that matter anymore? Does Rolling Stone's endorsement make careers like it used to? Evidently. I think it does only because who else is doing it? And if you're going to get your big break from anybody, if you're going to be on the cover of a magazine, which I'm pretty sure Greta Van Fleet has been, uh, you know, so they give they put them on the radar. And then if you are a throwback of my age, let's say you're 40 years or older and you grew up listening to Van Halen and, um, you know, I was a little bit after Led Zeppelin, but they're so ubiquitous on the stations that I listen to that I could, you know, I have I have all the Led Zeppelin albums and. And Rush, like I know Matt grew up listening to Rush and um, The Doors and all, you know, all those bands, Jimi oh Hendrix God. and oh, all geez. that stuff. Uh, and then a band like Greta Van Fleet comes along and everybody's like, oh, my God, we thought this was dead. And now yep. here they're bringing it back. So they got a lot more attention than they probably deserved. Mm-hmm. And then as time went on, they that's how they made their money. They just kept doing the same Led Zeppelin. Yeah, you recycle it. Riff or the the act over and over again. Right. I think they're going to have to come to a point where I bet you their next album is going to be uh they're going to try to remake themselves, I would think, cuz I know they're taking a lot of heat and they're starting to now deny that they are trying to sound like Led Zeppelin even though yeah. a couple of years ago they were freely admitting it cuz they were proud of it. They're yeah, like, they don't even yeah, list them we love anymore. Led Zeppelin. Of course, if we could sound like Led Zeppelin, isn't that great? And people are like, "All right, these guys are owning it." And now they're starting to get some 
attention, and they're saying, no, 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 we're not, we're not Led Zeppelin. Stop comparing us to Led Zeppelin. Yeah. We should have a, because Mike Rodak has famously said he can't name a single Led Zeppelin song, so we should have kind of a blind, blind listen-off. Oh. He would not be able to We could do difference. Early Rush, Greta Van Fleet, and Led Zeppelin. Oh, right, like play pre, those side by side. Pre Neil Pert. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Cause Rush, those... Rush album. Yeah. yeah. All right. Be very interesting. Well, cue it up because Michael's driving right now, right? He could probably. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll have to he'll probably that. have even less luck when he's. <laughs> the song Working Man, which was Rush's first big hit, yes. it would became a big hit. We've talked about it on the air here because Joe Yurden's a huge Rush fan. I believe when he was in one time, we were talking about this. But yep. one of my favorite bits of Rush trivia being is that they, I don't even know if they had a label yet, but they started sending the album out and it made it to WMMS in Cleveland. And when the program directors were checking out new acts and new albums, they would immediately go to the longest track. And the reason being is because that's when the DJs can go have a smoke or take a whiz. They can leave. They can actually leave the booth. So they love the long. How else would green grass and high tides ever make it on the air? Or Inagata de Vida. Inagata de Exactly. <laughs> that was the night of a Mexican. So Working Man, which is playing right here, was old ringtone. played for the <laughs> sake of using the bathroom. And so WMS played it a couple of times, and then they started getting crushed with phone calls of, can you tell us when the next Led Zeppelin album's coming out? Wow. You obviously, this is the, the cut from the upcoming Led Zeppelin. And um, WMMS was like, we, this isn't, and so they're like, we're, we're on to, we, yeah. we, 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 we may have discovered something here. And so then it started to spread. And then all of a sudden, Neil Peart joined, and they became great. You know what happened to the drummer? Uh, the original he, drummer. Is he still alive? No, he's dead. No, I, I don't. Dr- I think he drank himself to death because he was... Oh, that was him. He had issues to begin with. Well, because I always get him and Pete Best mixed up. Because I know Pete Best died after he left the Beatles, or after the Beatles kicked him out. I think Pete Best is still alive. He is? Isn't he? Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Maybe that's why I'm confused then. I'm thinking of... Thinking of Keith Moon? Oh, I hate him. Uh, the other one. No, I'm probably thinking of the guy of Ch- uh, uh, Chet... Pete Best is still alive. Who am I thinking of? Chad Michael Murray. <laughs> no, I no. You, you know what I did? I did. I mixed that up. The guy who replaced who uh, Ringo Starr is still alive too. Yeah. No, that's what I'm thinking of. I was uh, thinking of the Rush replacement because those are two of my favorite drummers. All right, well, we'll get into that. We'll, yeah, I'll, yeah, we'll yeah. research this during the break. We'll come back with a full <laughs> report of drummers. We'll play. How about this, Bobby? <laughs> Do not look anything up. We will do Famous Drummer, oh. Dead or Alive. Oh, my God. With you. Me? Yes. Oh. <laughs> with you after oh, the break. Let's do it. On the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. Place is not open till Tuesday. Am I not saying it right? It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. The Tim Graham Show. Now on Sports Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. The Fan. I do ever get pimped. They gonna pimp me. Yeah, huh? I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, the Tim Graham Show. I did old uh, some poll. Uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. Here we go. Here we go. 
on Twitter at 1270TheFan. Taking your calls at 270-1270. Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. You're going to need a bigger boat. Let Bonzo get in there. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show. Where we're about to play Is This Drummer Alive or Dead? <laughs> Had a little uh, interlude with Bobby Rosati, our producer, who, who plays. Yes. You play some drums? Yeah, I attempt to. Yeah, I play, played for a while now. And you well, know your music. Quite a while. So I was a little stunned when you threw out Pete Best, and I thought that Pete <laughs> Best was dead. dead. And I thought, holy smokes, did I miss something? <laughs> Pete Best is still alive. Yep. But I have a little quiz All right, for Bobby. You ready to go? Yeah, I can handle it. You, you think so? I think so. I think so, too. <laughs> but we're about to find out. In fact, we have four people here in this studio who are into music. Mm-hmm. We know our music. Let's run it around. Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein LLC, he's here, as is Matthew Fairburn. I almost just said Matthew Stafford <laughs> for some reason. But Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic is here, along with me, Tim Graham, also of The Athletic. Is this drummer alive or dead? We'll start with a couple of layups. How about Keith Moon? Keith Moon is... Of The Who. Deceased. He is dead. This is a warm-up. These are your these are your jumping jacks okay. before we get into Got it. Got it. John Bonham, whose music is playing underneath this right now. Mm-hmm. John Bonham of Led Zeppelin. Uh, John Bonham died in 1980. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now are we ready to get going here on yeah. real ones? Yeah, let's do it. Well, we already talked about John Rutsey. We didn't name him, though. That came up during the break. John Rutsey right. of Rush. He was the original drummer before Neil Peart. Mm-hmm. Left the band, or I think was kicked out. Neil Peart comes in. They shoot off to fame. All the money they've made. John yeah. Rutsey died uh, of a heart attack in his early 50s, I think, right? Wow. Does that sound right? Yeah. Okay. How about Ginger Baker of Cream? He is still alive. Touring with them, right? He is still alive. Yeah. I believe they. I believe they detoured with them not too long ago. Bobby yeah. Rosati batting a thousand so far. How about legendary drummer Gene Krupa? Mm, my dad, one of my dad's favorite drummers. He would be dead. He is dead. How about Tommy Lee of Motley Crue? Oh. Alive or dead? I want to say. <laughs> As weird as this sounds, I want to say I feel like he just died, but I think he's alive. He is alive. Yeah. I don't know why I thought maybe he died, but no, I'm thinking of the drummer from Pantera, I believe. I think that's right. Yeah. yeah well, they just had a drummer yeah. pass. A drummer died. I was, uh, was taught in the, I think when it comes to the journalism business, to, to come up with things that are more diplomatic, like passed on. Passed away. It's a euphemism. You're not to yeah. Use that. So you'll never see that in obituary. He's no longer with us. Died. Right. No. Yeah. You when? will always see died. Oh, you will. And you will never see passed. You know, properly written obituary. Passed oh. away. Yes. Moved on. Anything like that. Right. 
Unless you're quoting somebody. Had his coming home party. Or went went home. What do they call that now? They say? Coming home. Went home. Yeah. Went uh, home to the Lord. You're asking the wrong guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, is the wa- Lord accepted him walking with Jesus. Yeah. Died. It's died. It's died. That's exactly right. How about... Yeah. Charlie Watts of the Rolling Stones. Oh, that old coot. He's still touring with them. He's still alive. How about Eric Carr of Kiss? Uh, he is still alive, but he's not touring with them, right? He's not with the band anymore. You're half right. He is not touring with them anymore. Oh, so he's dead? <laughs> yes. Really? That nine, wow. Okay. According to this website that looks at the, the greatest dead drummers all time. So wow. you finally missed one. But that's yeah. a tough one, because Eric Carr isn't even the original. It. What if he were dead and still torn? <laughs> <laughs> that can still that be sounds bad. like something that Kiss would try to pull off. Anything for merchandise. Lipstick on the pig type thing. Yes. That's all I have. No, that's all right. That's good. I like that. I wish Thank I would have come up with more, but during the break, I, I, I was no, those are good ones. I like it. Have any drummers ever died and then got a second contract with the Bills? <laughs> yeah, the, the uh, Spinal Tap drummer. <laughs> I think Lars Ulrich did that, right? Anybody has a drummer they want to test this with, dead or alive, feel free to call in to the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Uh, and since it is 1270 The Fan, the number, as you would imagine, is 270-1270. We'll try to get it in uh, before uh, traffic and weather together. On the nines. Do drummers die more often than other musicians? <laughs> the, ry- <laughs> the rhythm, I'm serious. Like, is the rhythm, like sec- rhythm I guess sections I, die I'm pretty sooner. sure it's 100% mortality yeah, every, rate. Everybody dies. <laughs> I mean, are there more dead drummers than dead guitarists? <laughs> I think lead singers die before, right? I don't know. Do they meet their maker earlier? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, That's the drummers, it. they pass away. <laughs> Bang the drum slowly. Maybe there's something about drumming that takes years off your life. Well, Neil Pert is on, man, not death's door, but he's he's crickety now. He can't even tour. I, I saw him. Touring. Well, um, a few years ago. Yeah, I saw him in 07, I think. I saw him, it was like 2015, oh, I think I saw him, wow. right? And he was still good, right? As What's going Neil on with Pert? Neil Pert's nose? The size of it? Yeah. Oh, because it's all red? It's purple. Yeah, I think he has some bad circulation because he's sitting sitting in that kind of that area. He sits that... on his butt. He doesn't sit on his face. No, I know, but I think he has bad circulation is what I mean. So I think on top of that, plus he's he's an odd guy. He's had a lot of like health issues. He lost his wife and daughter. Not that that, you know, but uh, yeah, I, th- I think he has some circulation issues because he's battling like arthritis now. He's got a bad back. How about Levon Helm of the band? Is he alive or dead, Bobby? Uh, he is, he's dead, I believe. Yeah, famously dead. Yeah. Was that, was that an accident or did he, uh, drink himself? It, they, isn't it always? Yeah. They're rock stars, Bobby. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> How about Butch Trucks of the Allman Brothers Band? Uh, he is, he's dead. Duh, he's dead. He died in a plane crash, didn't he? I think, wasn't that Leonard Skinner? Oh, yeah, I'm getting them all mixed up. Butch Trucks just died uh, two years ago. Yeah, I knew that. Who's the <laughs> oldest living drummer? Oh, my God. Uh... <laughs> Did you it? No, no. Okay. <laughs> I'm just Jeez. laughing at Tim's eye roll. It came from, like, <laughs> about Tommy Ramone. 
Uh, dead. Yeah, I think all, there's only one Ramon left. Yeah. And he wasn't an original. <laughs> yeah. And he, was, awesome. and he was not, wasn't a real Ramon. <laughs> None of them played instruments either. I think they learned <laughs> if you eventually. Listen to Especially if you drum, you can just smack some things <laughs> yeah. around, right, yeah. to a beat. Yeah. Let's look this up. I'm going to Google oldest living drummer. Well, we got Viola Smith is 106 and plays a lot of instruments, including the drums. I see. It's definitely going to be a classical and or jazz you know what? drummer. She's almost 107. Whoa. Neil Peart has written seven books. Did you know that? Well, he's he, based on his lyrics. Yes, I can. <laughs> Neil Peart, as gifted a, books. as gifted as a drummer as he is, yeah. the Rush's lyrics are piss poor. Yeah, they're pathetic. It's like all Could about goblins and witchcraft. Could you imagine Getty Lee gets the lyrics? Dad, if you're like, listening, you want me to turn sing off this? The radio. <laughs> <laughs> Is Mr. Fairburn listening? Call in, please. I want to ask him what his favorite Rush lyric is. Uh, like what he is does it? not like Neil Peart's books. I Invisible know that. airwaves crackle with light. What about uh, what is this machine that you are playing in twenty one twelve when he discovers a guitar? Didn't they switch up who was writing the lyrics for a short time? Yeah, and then Neil took over, right? Neil Peart's like just all their songs are like Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. That's why my one buddy hates Rush because he says it sounds like a Dungeons and Dragons soundtrack. It's kind of like a Dungeons and Dragons for fifty-year-old white guys, if you think about it. Wasn't Dungeons and Dragons for white guys who are probably fifty now? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what are the Bills going to do in the draft, Matthew Fairburn? Your seven-round uh, uh, mock draft. You're macking on the draft. <laughs> You've been macking on the draft for months. And uh, you have the Bills taking a tackle with the ninth overall pick, Jonah Williams. He's an offensive lineman out of Alabama. Probably uh, neither the best pass blocker nor run blocker in the draft. Because Andre Dillard and so and so Taylor from Jawan Florida, Jawan Taylor from Florida, uh, but the total package, Jonah Williams. Uh, do you think that the Bills are going to go offensive lineman? Is that why you went with them at nine as as your mock, the way it fell, and you tried to reason out the first eight picks? Yeah, as I went through the first eight picks, I, I think the three most likely guys are Jonah Williams. TJ Hawkinson, the tight end from Iowa, and Ed Oliver, the defensive tackle from Houston. I don't know if any of the three are going to be there, but I think the most likely of the three is probably Jonah Williams. And there's a lot coming out today that perhaps some of these quarterbacks will get pushed up the board, which would certainly help the Bills, who are not in the market. Uh, Maybe some talent gets pushed down towards them. But Jonah Williams mostly was the one guy in researching everything that I could say without any shred of doubt fits into what they like from a personality, work ethic, leadership standpoint. And I think he's a much better football player than people give him credit for. He didn't allow a sack at Alabama this year against SEC competition. You know, that's that's pretty good. That's what you go for. In general, I think there's an idea about him that he needs to move inside to guard or center. I don't know where those ideas really come from because, you know, he's not much different physically than Andre Dillard from a measurable standpoint. 
perhaps he doesn't play quite as athletic as Dillard does, but I think you're getting a guy that you can just not worry about as soon as you plug him in, and I think he can play left tackle, and then figure out what to do with Deion Dawkins. I think the main point of having them pick an offensive lineman is that outside of Mitch Morse, I'm not sure that anybody on that offensive line is guaranteed a job at this point. And so why not take an offensive tackle? You're picking in the top 10. The idea would be that you're not picking in the top 10 again for a while. So are you going to take an offensive tackle or defensive tackle, you know, one of these perceived premier positions, or are you going to reach for a wide receiver just because you think you need it or a tight end even, you know, is a risky proposition in the top 10. So I don't know. I think the position he plays. Let's talk about that real quick. Tight end. And of course, the two guys out of Iowa, Noah Fant and uh, TJ Hawkinson uh, are in not in that order, flip that order, because I think there are some people, including our Dane Brugler, who thinks that Noah Fant is maybe an early second round pick and that there's maybe a big fall off after those two guys. And if you want to throw in Irv Smith Jr. in that conversation, then okay. But Hawkinson is by far and away the best tight end available. But much like, and I'm I'm not comparing this to fantasy drafts, but Think of the, when you're in a fantasy, just to, for the, the everyday person to uh, have an idea of what I'm getting at here. Uh, when, there's, when there are seven receivers who you could foreseeable, foreseeably take within the first round and a half or two rounds or three rounds, whatever it is, whatever the number is, it's not that many. But there are a lot more receivers out there than there are quality tight ends. Do you value that position because you know that when the draft comes around or the second or third round, who are we going to be able to get as a tight end as these guys come off the board? Yeah, that is a question that I because think— Because Hawkinson is just by far and away so be, much better than the rest, and he could be in that area where the Bills pick. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest argument for taking him is that the gap between him and the next guys in terms of— you hear the way that Brandon Bean talks about the tight end position, and the first thing he brings up is run blocking. And he doesn't seem to have an idea that— Certain positions are premium and certain positions aren't necessarily. They saw what a good tight end did for them in Carolina. So there's a lot of, you know, logic to why they would take one. Guys like Dane Brugler also call this a very deep tight end class. And when you look back at, you know, some of the best tight ends in the league, not a lot of them were taken in the first round. Travis Kelsey... Zach Ertz, George Kittle was fourth or fifth rounder. Rob Gronkowski was as well, but I don't know how much that has to do with TJ Hawkinson. If he's that good, people are comparing him to Gronk, which seems outrageous, but if he's that good, then yeah, you take him at nine. There is a... All right, we're already late. We have Mike Rodak coming up here, but I just real quickly want to make the the point that... or Or just throw this out there as as a talking point. Yes, all those guys come in the second, third, mid-rounds. But the game, it's almost as though teams, not all 32 teams were looking for this guy. And it took guys like Rob Gronkowski and Kelsey um, and Ertz to open the league's eyes as to what these guys are. So, yeah, they used to be second, third, fourth-round picks, but are they anymore? It's much like the inverse of running backs. 
people would be like, well, you take a good running back in the first round because that's where you got to get him. And then you're finding out, no, we can get him in the fifth. We can get him undrafted. We can get him off somebody else's practice squad. It's like you can fill him in. But these tight ends. There's not that many good now, ones. The production, the production seems to be disproportionate to the draft position, meaning they all look like great value picks. But at some point, that's got to realign, right, in terms of – if you're worth that much as a player, then you're going to start getting taken where guys like that go, whether it be a number one receiver or a left tackle or a really good cornerback. Um, so anyway, I, I think we're going to see at some point an adjustment on these tight ends. And until we do, and I think that's going to take years and years, you know, but there are going to be these outliers. There are going to be these wacky. I mean, hey, you know, the Jets um, – were mocked for taking Kyle Brady all those years ago, whatever it was, fourth overall or whatever the hell. Um, there have been tight ends that get drafted early, uh, and they can do way more now than they used to be to, to, yeah. than what they were expected to do back then when they were just a blocker who could yeah. catch every now and then. Yeah. I think now that's the, the main is that is that they do a lot more. And think about the conversation surrounding a number one wide receiver earlier this offseason – and points Brandon Bean and others that you talked to made about sometimes that guy can be a tight end. And if he's having that type of impact on your offense, and as you mentioned, some of these guys, they may have been values at the time, but they're also the only guys in the league. There's like three or four tight ends in the league making that type of impact, and then a lot of guys kind of doing the same thing. So if you can separate yourself by having one of those guys, I think there's an argument to be made that that's well worth a top 10 pick. Can I sit here and tell you that TJ Hawkinson is that dude? No, but uh, a lot of people seem to think he is. And so um, it's not my job on the line if they take TJ Hawkinson, thankfully. But if Brandon Bean's willing to put his neck out there. You have them taking the tackle from Alabama. Your job's not even on the line and if if they don't get that one. Like, that's that's right. how frivolous all this really right. is, right? Nobody, yeah, your job's not on the line, whether whoever they take. That's why we can throw these darts out there. But Brandon yeah, Bean's job probably isn't on the line with this pick either. It was on the line with the pick he made last year. Because if Josh Allen becomes a perennial pro bowler and they swing and miss on TJ Hawkinson, it'll just be a footnote. That's right. But TJ Hawkinson can help make Josh Allen look like they got the smart pick. Exactly. But so can could get, but can so get, can the franchise left tackle. You can get in some trouble doing that. Ask Doug Wayland. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who? He was not privy to building teams. Sorry. Certainly not, Rush but he's Brandon. gonna build a whole he's league. Not <laughs> he's got a that's right. <laughs> it's a hell of a promotion he got. <laughs> All right, we come back. Mike Rodak of ESPN.com with his thoughts on what the Bills are gonna do tomorrow night in the draft. On the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Radio 1270, The Fan. And on the Fans app. Free to download in the App Store. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show. You are not listening to NHL 2004, yes. <laughs> I think, or maybe it's three, it somewhere in, in that range. But when you said 2002, I was like, I know. Yep. There are like four or five songs on the soundtrack <laughs> that are great. Yeah. And they are on Classics. my iTunes. 
I want to say it's Owen Nolan, either Owen Nolan or uh, yeah. or um, Jerome McGinley is on the cover. Yeah, that's right. I, but I think it's Owen Nolan. That's right in there. O two, O three, O four. PS3. <laughs> that's awesome. Bobby Rosario back, pulling out the big songs. Matthew Fairburn of the Athletic is here. So is Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein uh, Catholic Industries. <laughs> Bronstein, Bronstein Charities. Speaking of charity cases, Mike Rodak's joining us. He was beamed up to the ESPN mothership in Bristol, Connecticut. Are we able to talk about why you were there, Mike? Yeah, we can talk about it, but I just first want to say I'm pretty sure it was Jerome McGillis. I had that game, and I think there's a Jimmy Eat World song that whenever I hear it play on the radio yep. 15 years later, the only thing I can think of is that it was on NHL 2002, I think it was. Okay. Yeah. Either 02 or 03. Every time I hear the song, it's all I can think about. But it was a hell of a Yeah, game. we can talk about why I was there. I mean, it's our annual summit. We're always there. It's the sixth year that we've done it since NFL Nation started. So it's it's always the Monday and Tuesday before the draft, and we have our mock draft show, which was last night, where we all make our picks, and I picked Jawan Taylor, um, much to the chagrin of some Bills fans. But, yeah, well, actually, between the three of us football writers here, we're all having them take a different tackle. But we we, we have them at offensive tackle. I have them with Andre right. Dillard on the Channel Four show tomorrow. Matt Fairburn has um, what's Jonah, his Williams. Name? Jonah Williams on uh, on the mock draft at theAthletic dot com, and now you're going with Juwan Williams. Juwan Taylor, yeah. Juwan Taylor. It, I mean, they're all they all bring something different to the table. Juwan Taylor is probably more of a natural tackle than. Than Jonah Williams is. I mean, Jonah Williams has obviously been talked about more as a guard at the NFL level, but could probably play both. So, I don't know. It depends on what their exact scouting report is, and good luck trying to get that. You Who know, else was on the board, Mike, when you picked? Uh, Oliver was off the board. I know he's been a popular pick. Uh, Hawkinson was off the board. So it was, if you're into Christian Wilkins, Brian Burns, those guys that are still around. Um Offensive linemen, I mean, both Jonah Williams and, and Dillard were still on the board, so I kind of had my pick of the litter, and I went with Taylor, and I I could be wrong. I mean, who knows if, if that's the situation. But um, I think the dream scenario of if the Bills truly are into at Oliver, of him slipping down to nine, I don't think, or that wasn't the case, at least in our mock draft. We're in conversation with... Tim Graham show co-host Mike Rodak, who's on the. Where are you right now? Are you in the? Are you in New York? No, I, I'm currently. I am in New York, not New York City. I am um, in Pattersonville, New York, which is about I don't know, 15 miles outside of Albany. So I was supposed to fly this afternoon because it's kind of that awkward distance between Buffalo and, and Bristol, Connecticut. It's about a six six and a half hour drive. It's a long drive. You kind of hate yourself about four or five hours into it. But then there's no direct flights, and you're either flying through Philly or flying through, you know, D.C., Baltimore. So I was supposed to fly through Philly, and we got on the plane in Hartford at about 2.30 this afternoon, pulled back from the gate, and all of a sudden something's wrong. So fire trucks start showing up, and the captain comes on and says, oh, you know, there's some issue with the hydraulics, and 
eventually we get back to the gate. He's like, yeah, we're going to have to get off the plane. And everybody's lining up, you know, 40, 50 people on the plane trying to get their, their next flight rebooked. So I said, screw it. I, I, I just called up my travel agent. I got my rental card. I said, I'll just, I'll just make the drive. So here I am in, in Pattersonville and just walked in to relieve myself and, you know, face up against the wall of, of the urinals. And there's one other guy all the way down to the other side of the bathroom. And there's nobody else in there. And I hear him talking. I'm not sure if he's talking to me. Like, I can't really understand him. He just He's indiscriminately talking. And then it stops. And I, I didn't really look the first time. And then he starts talking again. And I hear him. And he says, you know, remember that Jesus is king. <laughs> and I'm like, do I, do I look? <laughs> I started kind of laughing to myself. I wasn't going to go look and see if, you know, what was going on down there. It's, it's kind of taboo to look left and right at the urinal. So... I just got out of there as quickly as I can and decided I want to go into the Tim Graham show instead of talking to that guy. That was the longest answer I've ever heard to where are you? Where are, are you in New York? I didn't even, it was a yes or no. Whereabouts are you? You got the full detail. It's like the He got out of there quickly. He said he got out of that restroom quickly, but it, it took him longer to talk about it than to get out of there. You didn't get out of that story quickly. That's funny. I'm just glad we can fill some space in the radio on a Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, so um, so did you uh, did you even take time to shake it or what? I uh, nope. I just kind of you know tucked it back in and, and walked straight out of there. Did you I wash your hands? The honest man would do. Did you? I did wash my hands, but it, it was it was on the fly. It's puny. Well, I don't. That was all mildly interesting, Mike, but. Regarding the draft, <laughs> was the guy, uh, why Why does this stick out as something that you thought we needed to hear? Eh, I have nothing good to offer about the draft, so that's the, that's the best I've got. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Mike. <laughs> that was Mike Rodak of ESPN.com joining us uh, on the road. <laughs> Good caller. Just a few miles outside of Albany. Figured he was going to... Mike from Albany, that was? Yeah, Mike, he was on the... Calling in. Giving us his report from the road. I like it. Long yeah, it was listener. good stuff. We'll it was have a nice to get scoop. the rest of that story next week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, know that, yeah you know there's... I want to hear the prequel. <laughs> yeah. I'll give you the prequel. We didn't hear what he ordered... To eat, I texted him like what, twenty minutes ago, and he's like, "Hang on, I gotta go take a blank." And that was the prequel before before this all happened. And uh, and then I ordered my food, and the woman's name badge said Wanda, <laughs> and I said I'd like uh, <laughs> the number four. And then she said, uh, "Do you want uh, fries or onion rings?" And I said, uh, "Fries, please." And then she said, uh, "What to drink?" And I said, "Oh." I forgot. Uh, I'll have Coke with that. And she said uh, that my total was going to be $8.31. And I could tell that there was somebody else behind the counter getting uh, my fries. Uh, but she was waiting for me, and I didn't have the exact change. So uh, I gave her a 20, and she says, do you have a penny? And I said, no, I don't. And then she, so she said, oh, I'll just give you credit for the penny. And then she gave me my change back, and it was also I didn't have any extra pennies. So I didn't have to worry about that. 
And then uh, I walked over uh, to where I was supposed to pick. You know, I don't even know why they give you the receipts on those things. It's not like you're ever going to take anything back or it's the wrong size or anything. But she asked me if I wanted my receipt. I said, no, thank you. (laughs) I walked to the left and I waited for the guy to bring me my, uh, my combo meal. That might be one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made, having Mike call in the show. We were doing better with the dead drummers. I agree. But he tried. He did. He gives it his best. When we come back, we're going to talk about the National Basketball Association playoffs and the National Hockey League playoffs. I think we're all talked out on the draft, apparently. Evidently. Mike made that perfectly clear. There's the Jimmy Eat World song. He did contribute that. Yep. 2003. NHL 2003. Let's get another. I know there's three or four other good songs on there. Yeah, yeah. Can you find another one off that soundtrack? To come back with or you want it right now? To come back with. Yeah, absolutely. All right. On the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Jotting down yeah. a time of that. That's going to end yep. up in a bumper. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. This is The Tim Graham Show. Wow. Yes, it is. Are we on? Yes. How about that for just stumbling into the out of the break? Yeah, another fantastic song off the NHL 2003. These guys actually trapped. Actually, had a good album. The one Headstrong was on this song. It wasn't too bad. Everything after that's not not great. I don't have this on my iTunes. I want to download it. Mm. What's the name of this one? Headstrong. Headstrong. This is Headstrong. I want to thank uh, Jacques Martin for coming on the Tim Graham show during that last segment. <laughs> if anybody out there forgets what Jacques Martin was like as a coach, and the, he has a reputation for being boring, Mike Rodak's interview was <laughs> Jacques Martin esque. Yeah, that's what you'll get without. Uh, yeah, it's that. It was a lot of snoring. <laughs> Mike went on and on. <laughs> I think and the entire time to be entertaining, though. The entire setting was him in the men's room. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought he was setting up a punchline that never came. That's what I was waiting for, like, and he, he grabbed me right next to me in the urinal, and he grabbed me, you know, something like that, but nothing. I was waiting for that conversation to grab me, and it just never did. <laughs> well, I'm glad you got out of it when you did, because... Yeah, it was beautifully done. I really couldn't... couldn't stomach much (laughs) you know what i didn't want to end last night's san jose las vegas game because that was a gem of a game i know Mm. that bobby loves his las vegas nights i more mark andre i'm sorry vegas golden Knights. that's what killed me what what is it you just love mark andre fleury yeah when i first started playing goalie matt can probably uh relate he had bright yellow pads uh, from the get-go, and that caught my attention. No three, I was in third grade, and then uh, I believe he had a pretty good run that year with T- was it Team Canada? I think it was. That. I can't remember the dates exactly, but then when he came in the league, he had the yellow pads, and I just fell in love with them. And then uh, now he went back to at one point this season he went to the gold pads, but 
He's just he's one of those guys. He's got a lot of energy off the ice, but on the ice too. He, he's it's very. Um, I know it's kind of cliche, but it's very uh, contagious. He always he always made really good teammates with with uh, some of the guys that were on the team. Him and Max Talbot went back far. So I don't know. I just I, I liked him as a dude and a player. So last night Vegas is up three nothing in a series that at once led three games to one. It's now game seven, almost halfway into the third period. They're ahead by three goals. Haven't given up any the entire night, and. Well, let's talk about the penalty. Have you seen a replay, Matt? All right, I don't want to bring it up if you haven't seen a replay of it. But the penalty, uh, Eakin gets called for a cross-check on a face-off. He uh, cross-checks Joe Pavelski. Joe Pavelski leaves his feet. I don't know if he was diving. It seemed like a rather theatrical reaction to Eakin's cross-check. Did he get hurt? I Well, yes. And then a second player, while he's off, kind of comes into his body... And now it's awkward because he's off his skates, comes into his body, is just trying to skate through him to get the puck. And it's not anything malicious, but Pavelski falls on his head. There's blood on the ice. He is knocked out. And it's and it's Joe Pavelski, which matters in the NHL, which it shouldn't, but it does because the NHL is so arbitrary in pretty much anything that it does. And so now you have Pavelski knocked cold on the ice, a very scary moment, and the officials feel like they have to do something because an important player is bleeding from his head on the ice. And so Eakin gets a game misconduct. He gets a cross check and a game misconduct. So that's five minute nonstop power play. And San Jose scores four goals and incredible action. Whether you agree with the penalty or not, it was, a, it was amazing the rest of the game. Vegas scores with about, I don't know, 30, 40 seconds left in regulation to send the game into overtime. San Jose wins it uh, late into overtime, uh, first period of overtime. And uh, so a, a amazing finish that will be talked about for a long period of time, but the penalty. What did you think about the penalty? Yeah, It was borderline for sure, I think. A borderline cross-check or a borderline game misconduct? It was a cross check but very much borderline about whether it was a major penalty or not. Yep. Yeah. And I think the rules are written so that there is gray area, there's discretion involved and I think you're right. I, I think the fact that there was an injury and there was blood, you know, might have influenced the call and I wonder if the ref woke up this morning and wish he had that one back because you know, he influenced the game in a way that a ref really going into a game doesn't want to influence a game. But, man, you got to be able to kill off that penalty without letting up four goals. Four I mean, goals? if you're Vegas and you're putting your whole season on that, you got to be able to kill off a major penalty without giving up four goals. And you, and this is, as somebody who covered the NHL for a number of years, and you don't even have to cover it to get this sense, but... As I was saying before, as arbitrary as they are in calling these penalties, I do think it came down to there's blood on the ice. We have to do something. It's serious. This is an important player. Can you do a double major on a cross check when the cross check didn't cause the bleeding? Um, I don't think you can. So I think this was something where the officials tried to come up with something that they felt 
was right or felt that yeah. that was just was in the vibe of the moment, which the NHL shouldn't be in the business of doing. And I I can my guess is just as a human being, I mean, I don't I know it's dangerous to put myself in, in the official's mind and act as though I'm you know I'm speaking for him, but I can imagine the guy thinking to himself, if we give him the five minute major, we will have done justice, and what's going to happen? They're not going to score three. It's not like they're going to tie the game, right? I mean, I'm guessing that that thought at least crossed his mind. Like, am I going too far? Well, hell, they're up three nothing, <laughs> <laughs> right? Jeez, can, I can picture. That. I absolutely I, and I think agree. That in, 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 that's how the NHL thinks, or yeah. it thinks in those ways. It's like, what can we get away with without screwing? Like, what? How can we fudge this to keep as many people happy? Yeah. As we can. I feel like you don't see a lot of five-minute majors either. No! What, nope. what struck me when I was at Fighting. the Frozen Four is you see those a lot uh, in that UMass-Denver game. I think there were three five-minute majors because college hockey has taken the college football targeting rule and sort of adopted their version, and it's a five-minute to game misconduct, and it's a five-minute. And that was swinging that game a little bit, but... Nobody allowed four goals on one of those five-minute majors. I feel like you don't see it nearly as often in the NHL, and maybe NHL power plays are, are just that much better. Yeah. But, man. Four goals. Four goals. You sh- If you give up four goals in a period, that that's a bad period. That's one of the great power plays. Yeah, in absolutely. NHL playoffs history, right? Well, that's yeah. Have have what's the record of goals? Maybe I don't know, I somebody could look it up. Is there a record for goals scored on a five minute major? Like maybe has six ever been scored? I don't know. There was some record set last night, but it escapes me what it was. I'll have to I'll have to look at what I was thinking. But who, Bobby, who's your mo- in a hockey team? Who's your most important penalty killer? The goalie. Ah, uh-huh. oh yeah, he. I I was stunned when I saw when I saw that because he he went into the. Uh, this uh, playoffs with obviously wins go against the team too, but he he was having a decent year. He was having an up year. He came off last year. He was doing all right. Flurry that is, mm-hmm. and he he buckles under pressure sometimes. Flurry had eight shutouts this season. Yeah, it's uh, second second career high or nine right thirteen save percentage. His goals against right about uh, his average two point five one. That's Little higher than his usual, his average. I'm not a huge Flurry fan, but um, Chris Baker and I uh, at Sabres Prospects, Daddy Bakes, uh, he and I had this discussion just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I said, "Is Mark Andre Flurry a Hall of Famer?" And I'm thinking Ooh. this was going to be a discussion on a borderline case, and he was like, "Absolutely." Wow! And then we started talking about it, and it goes to longevity. The guy has been playing for a long time, uh, but he hasn't led the league in anything. He led the league no. in shutouts the one time. 2015 with 10 right he had 10 shutouts but anything else he's never really been in the mix for even the the end of the year all-star teams the best he's come is fourth he's been the fourth best goaler in the goalie in the league one Vesna right no I'm talking about for that all the all-star oh, oh. team that they that you get put on at the end of the season not yeah, going to the all-star game that's different Vesna, yeah. in the hockey they have that award where they put together the end of the year all-star team right and he's never come close to that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's finished seventh for the Vezina once. Um, wow. Oh, he was fifth last season. He was fifth. Oh, really? Um, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they had the deep run. Yeah. Vegas was a magical team. Of course, he was uh, the backbone to that. 
Um, but yeah, it's well, um, he's not had that particularly great of a career in terms of hardware uh, or you know personal stuff. But he does have three Stanley Cups. Well, he's never had the. I guess he's never been a like a convicted winner. Like like that was his thing. He he made huge this kind of huge save. He made he made a big save in this moment. And he'd lose his job on occasion. And that's the when thing. he was with the Penguins. But the funny thing is, what you said, I think you said it off air before the show was and obviously you just alluded to it, not a big flurry fan, but I, I think the big thing with him is he could be clutch at times. He he's a very clutch goalie, but the incredible part is he could be in, very unclutch at times and I know that's also very cliche but it's true he was he's there in the moments they should have won the cup in 0708 and 0809 that's how good he played but I mean he had a better run the year before so it just it's it's disappointing because that can happen and it really shouldn't pretty the real bad question though. is you're I was thinking of you when I saw two great games being played late at night you're you're late night kind of guy mm-hmm. how were you balancing uh between the hockey game and the the trailblazer game <laughs> because the trailblazers had i didn't i just watched i was just on finish. the hockey game damian lillard 50 points and the the final shot which i've 37 seen 37 footer in paul george's face if which Paul George said was a bad shot. <laughs> he was, yeah. I heard him. Did he was like, I don't care. He made it, but that was a bad shot. Well, not. Uh, he's like, we'll not. We'll not ever be talking about how bad that shot was. Yeah, uh, because he made it. Jonah, where are we with this second round uh, as the playoffs? We we talked about it at the very beginning of the show, but Mark Stein, uh, friend of Buffalo, friend of man, yeah. uh, says it's uh, the best second round ever. In NBA playoff history, so Warriors, yeah. Rockets, Celtics, Bucks. To get the exact quote, greatest second round in history, all capital letters there. Do you know what that means? That's a little different than just saying it's the greatest second round in history. I don't know. I didn't look at all the other second rounds. But really, we got maybe the two best teams in the league, or at least the team that people think can give the Warriors the biggest threat, the Houston Rockets, they're going to play. They, they still both got to win, though. Both of them are playing tonight with 3-1 leads at home, but everybody expects... They're going to advance probably out of this game and play each other. And then in the East, you got uh, number one seed Milwaukee against the Boston Celtics, a lot of people's preseason favorites, Toronto and Philadelphia. Those have been the four best teams in the East all year long. They're playing off. So there weren't really any surprises. There's only one real competitive series in the first round. It's a lot different than hockey. The eighth seed doesn't just never really win. They, they almost never really make it a series with the number one seed. But I guess we're going to get rewarded with the games and the rounds coming up. The Spurs being in it. Now, of course, the Spurs aren't the same Spurs as they were four seasons ago. But as long as Greg Popovich is in it, there's still an added dimension to that series, too. As sexy as the other ones are. But the Spurs still have some cachet, right? Oh Yeah, well, they're down 3-2 now to Denver. Denver won game five last night. I still think the Spurs are going to pull that one out. They to win game six at home and then game seven Saturday in Denver. They are the lower-seeded team, but they got two all-stars, LaMarcus Aldridge, DeMar DeRozan, good defensive players, good coaching. They're not really – they go against the grain of the way most teams play with how many threes they take, but they make a lot of them. They're, they're efficient with their threes. So it's a different stylistic way they play than really much of the rest of the league, and, and it's a way that I don't think they can beat Golden State, maybe Houston, the real high-powered offensive teams, but they can win this series with Denver. And I've kind of felt like they were the favorites the whole time, even though they're the lower-seeded team. All right, so what happens in the East? 
How do you think it shakes out all the way to the who, who's going to represent the East in the final? Well, Boston's playing as well as they've played all year, and they were the team with maybe the most talent coming into the season, the, the blend of talent, experience, coaching, Kyrie Irving, and they had done well last year with guys like Irving and, and other good players, Gordon Hayward injured. They had some chemistry and issues with the way they were playing and, and really not winning games throughout the regular season, but seemed to have hit their stride here in the playoffs against Milwaukee, a team that's been coasting along, playing well all season. MVP and Giannis Antetokounmpo, at least most people think he will be the MVP. You're asking me to predict who's going to play in the next round? I'd probably go with Boston in that series and Toronto in the uh, the other series. So Boston-Toronto, which for the last couple of years, those have maybe been the two best teams in the East and different rise and falls for each of the franchises. But over time, they've been the two teams threatening LeBron's Cavaliers the most over the last couple seasons. I'd like to see Toronto get a shot at it, only because they've come close and they were, as you just mentioned, the, they couldn't get over that LeBron James hump. Now that he's out of the conference, they always just seem to have the better teams. And I know the Celtics have had their day. I would just like to see Toronto, fresh blood, at least make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. And then, uh, but if they could get to the NBA finals, then. And then there's the whole dynamic of Kawhi Leonard. He's going to be a free agent. A lot of people think he'll sign elsewhere, probably the Clippers. But if they win the championship or maybe they even go to the finals and have a good showing in the finals, that might compel him to come back on a short or a long-term deal, keep it going with Toronto. Because if they lose Kawhi Leonard after some of the players they traded away, I don't think they're going to fall all the way apart, but. I think it'll be the end of this run, and they'll have to start building around some of their younger players and new players towards making another run in the future, not necessarily running it back with this group next year. Jonah, I wanted to ask you your take on Giannis. Can he, is he the best in the world right now? I, I know some people obviously say Kevin Durant and LeBron, but is, can, he, can he move into the top spot, best player in the world? He, he looks like it, Giannis. I would say no. Giannis, he's the MVP because he's the best player on the best team, and he's probably the best, most impactful defensive player this year of any of the other great offensive players. Yeah. So it is a little bit of a dichotomy there. where he, I think he's a slam-dunk choice for the MVP, or at least one of two players who are slam-dunk choices for the MVP. Mm-hmm. Whereas, But I would not put either one of those players, him or James Harden, as the best player in basketball right now. Interesting. It's hard. I mean, LeBron's not playing and didn't have – his best season, but he's still LeBron James, yeah, and it yeah. wasn't that long ago that he was taking the team to eight straight finals, and yep. everybody was saying he was the best player ever. Yeah, that's and very Kevin Durant fair. has been the finals MVP the last two years and is still playing just as well as he has, although he has some ups and downs with the attitude and the chemistry and things yeah. on that team. But I would say those two are definitely the two best players in the world, and Giannis Antetokounmpo has kind of put himself on that level of wow. maybe being in a top-five player discussion, yeah. but he doesn't shoot the ball well enough really doesn't shoot from the outside at all and hasn't really won anything yet. If they win the championship sure. and he's finals MVP, then maybe we can start talking about he's the best player. I like that. The Warriors and the Rockets. How do you handicap that series? And, uh, well, I, I'll just leave it at that. I like the Rockets' chances. They The Warriors are still the best team. They have these four all-stars, even without DeMarcus Cousins. They're the most talented team in the NBA, especially at the top level. And they're the team that's dominated the league for the last four or five years. All those key parts are still there and playing at their peak. But I just think there's a difference with Houston being a team that hasn't won yet, has a little more hunger, 
and they've been building up to beating the Warriors over the last couple of years, really before they signed Chris Paul, but it got serious last year when they actually had a better record in the regular season, had a 3-2 lead in the Western Conference Finals when Chris Paul gets hurt and ends up losing that series. Um, or maybe it was a 2-1 lead. But anyways, they were winning in that series. Chris Paul gets hurt. They couldn't really pull it out last year. As long as they can stay healthy, the way they play basketball, as good as James Harden is, the style they play, they don't have as much talent as the Warriors, but I think that they're the intangibles, the way they're playing compared with the Warriors kind of sniping at each other and realizing that Kevin Durant, maybe some other players are on their way out and this is the end of their run. And I've just felt like this year the Warriors were going to lose to somebody, whether it's the fatigue of trying to go to five straight finals mentally and physically, just running out of luck, the chemistry being bad for reasons we've seen. I thought DeMarcus Cousins might throw that off. He was actually not a factor in their chemistry problems this year. But I've just felt like this is the year where it doesn't work out for the Warriors, even if on paper they still have the most talent. All right. But if Houston can't beat the Warriors, I don't see any of the other teams beating them. Like, this is the round. If if you're hating on the Warriors or you want to see something different, I think this is the round where they're vulnerable. And if they get through Houston, I think they win another title. Even out of the East, you don't think anybody matches up? Yeah, the up? teams in the East are just – they haven't made the run before. They're young. They're built around some unproven players. Maybe Boston, with some of the experience they have and, the, and a coach in Brad Stevens that's – well, he never really won a national championship, but he's won playoff basketball before. But I just think all of these teams are a little too early in their development and haven't never been to the finals before to beat the Warriors in what would be the fifth straight finals for the Warriors and going to win what would be the fourth of them. All right. Exciting stuff. I might not even watch the draft playoffs. tomorrow. I'm just going to watch hockey and basketball. Yeah. There's only one basketball yeah, game on tomorrow. There's only one draft on tomorrow, too. That's right. But it's on two stations. Nah. It's on two Is different networks, right? Yeah. NFL I Network and ESPN. Well, it's on ABC. Oh, yeah? I oh, believe. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm going to be down at One Bill's Drive with Matthew Fairburn tomorrow. We're going to be covering the hell out of it. Tomorrow night? Heck yeah. Awesome. I'm going to stay locked into you guys then. <laughs> I'm going to be tipping picks. <laughs> what else are you going to be tipping? Yeah. <laughs> Probably nothing tomorrow. Nothing back, nothing. No, I have some assignments. I got coverage to do. I got oh. some writing to do. Busy time of year. Well, it's a busy weekend. Actually, tomorrow's nice and slow. There's not much to do tomorrow. You gonna not sleep until. in tomorrow, Matt? Oh, you gotta you gotta co- Matthew Fairburn's gonna be back in the studio tomorrow morning yes, he to will. fill in as the host of the Jerry Sullivan show. Three Enjoying more hours that? of Sully. I enjoyed it this morning. Yeah. I thought we had some fun. A lot of fun. Who's, who, any guests on tomorrow? Tomorrow we've got John Vogel from The Athletic to talk about. He's up in Toronto for the Amherst Marlies series. Talking, He's trying to get the latest on these prospects that are coming through the, the pipeline. And he sent me a text the photo about the, uh, he was at the Giants-Blue Jays yes. game. Yes. He's, he's, he's up there Giants. for awesome. for a couple of reasons. We're also going to have Dan Kadar, who's a... Uh, one of my favorite mock drafters gave me my first crack in this this racket, this business. Who does he, he have the Bills taken? He currently has the Bills. Well, he's got his final mock tonight, so I don't want to misrepresent him. But he does currently have the Bills taking Jonah Williams. Well, is that where you got yours from? No, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> Wait <Easy>. a second. <laughs> he's got his final one tonight. He's usually one of the most accurate. So we're going to get his 
latest prediction and draft musings. Maybe we'll squeeze another guest in there. Who's to say? I might I might dial up Joe Buscaglia. Oh no! To see if he wants Joey to. Joey Boots. He likes the draft. He's into that. <laughs> He's sort of into thing. it. Well, if you need me for anything, I'm around. Yeah, maybe we'll just call yeah. you. Yeah, fine. On the spot, randomly. Happy to do it. <laughs> Closer to noon, the better. <laughs> My thanks to Matthew Fairburn for coming into the studio for the whole two hours. Read all of Matthew Fairburn's work at theathletic.com. Catch him on Twitter at what are what are you? Just at, at Matthew, Matthew Fairburn. Fairburn, not by, not at. Yeah, I got that handle. Right. I got lucky. At Matthew Fairburn. Jonah Bronstein was in. Nice of him to give us all of the thoughts on basketball. We had a little breaking news during the first segment with uh, Felicia Leggett-Jack signing a contract extension with UB. Talked about uh, not only the women's program, but the men's recruiting class under new coach Jim Whitesell. Bobby Rosati was furiously working on getting us music from NHL 2003, <laughs> getting Rodak on the line. Yep, hanging up on Rodak. And... Uh, and my thanks to Mike Rodak for calling in. And also, my thanks to all the late drummers out there. You guys uh, did a lot of good stuff, and uh, we clearly, knew your names. They're clearly dying more often than yep. other musicians. They die way more frequently than other musicians. Seems that way. Based thanks, on this show. Thanks for listening to the Tim Graham Show. Uh, as of right now, we have one more before we hit our summer hiatus, which we have done for the past, uh, well, since the show was uh, incorporated. Maybe we'll have some news next week. I don't know, but uh, we'll catch you next week to recap the Bills draft here on the Tim Graham Show. Thanks for listening. Sports Radio 1270 Fan.